And I want to share with you today from the Word of God how to be free from the number one problem that we have. Now, that's a broad statement because it may apply to some and it may not apply to others, but statistically and societally, it has been recorded that the greatest cause of stress and worry is finance. And so I want to speak on financial freedom today. Now, I need to make a couple of clarifying statements because there's some here that are new. There are some here that this is their first time. And uh, you're just going to have to trust me. And then when I'm done, you can ask anybody that's been around Spirit of Grace very long. I very rarely ever preach on money. I do it maybe once a year. I probably should do it more considering how much Jesus talked about it. But uh, I want to share with you today and next week two different aspects of stewardship. And so I'm reading from Proverbs chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm reading from the ESV today. And uh, Elena will have this up on the, 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 the screen. So here's a couple other qualifying for all of you that are newer or may have never heard me speak on finance. We set up when we first became pastors of this church a financial system for the church that frees me to preach freely this way. And here's what I mean by that is I'm going to share this with you and I'll never know whether you follow it or not individually because I don't get a tithing report. I don't get an offering report. Taryn doesn't send me a report uh, and they'll be back tomorrow and sunburn and tan and all that kind of stuff. And I'm glad it's going to be four below when they step off the plane. I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But she doesn't give me a weekly report. I know churches that do that. I know preachers and pastors that do that. They get a tithing report every single week whether you tithed or not. I don't know who gives in this church or who doesn't except for our leaders. And when it comes to our leadership team, the only thing that I know is whether they're giving consistently or not giving. So when I share this with you, I am standing as a free man sharing the word of God. So if something gets pricked in your heart, it's not me. Because I don't know whether you give or not. I don't know whether you've been attending this church for 25 years and haven't given a cent. I have no idea. Okay? I also don't speak this and teach this because the church is in trouble. We've got enough people in here that have caught the vision of this church and tithe and offering that our finances are in good shape, good order, and God has blessed and honored. So that's not, I know there's some churches that get up and, and the preacher's basically taking up offerings to pay the light bill. That, that's not us. If you're new here today and you've questioned, we don't even collect an offering. We leave a box in the back, and if you'd like to give to the house of the Lord, you can give there. Or if you go online on our website, there's a couple of different ways to give there. But we don't send ushers through with offering plates. And the day that we stop doing that is the day that our, our finances increased at this church. 
because our finance isn't about us trying to collect something from people. It's about people wanting to give to the things of God. Okay? So those are my clarifying statements, my qualifying statements, and so you know the direction from which I'm coming. But I believe that tithing, and I'm going to talk about giving next week because tithe and giving or tithe and offering are two separate things and two separate issues, okay? And so this is going to be a little bit more teaching, but you know me, that may change. And, uh, but I believe very strongly in the concept of the tithe. Now, I know in Christian culture in the last few months there has been an uproar about people that are teaching that tithing is not of God and tithing is not of, of the Word of God, I would tend to disagree. I, I believe it's in the Word of God. Now, the way that some people taught it, yeah, I would question it. But when you teach it from the unfiltered Word of God, it's very clear in Scripture, and I hope to share that with you today. So first of all, Proverbs chapter 3, I just want to read two verses there. It says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor the Lord. When we write out a tithe check, we are honoring the Lord. And notice that it says with your wealth. I have heard people say, because of the way the Old Testament talks that tithing just has to do with crops and and herds and things like that. It doesn't really have to do with money. Well, people aren't looking close enough. It's with your wealth. It's of your increase. And, in fact, it says if the house of the Lord is too far away to bring your grain and bring your animals to exchange the grain and the animals for money and bring the money to the house in Scripture. If you read Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 28 or so. Also over in Malachi chapter 3, this is the famous tithe and offering scripture. Can't teach it without bringing it to this scripture, but I want you to notice something about it today. I'm actually going to start in verse number 6, and it simply says this. I want you to notice this first statement here. For I, the Lord, do not change. In other words, he is still doing things the way he's always done them. And so when something such as tithing is applied to the Lord in this passage, the Lord hasn't changed. He still is looking for the tithe. And so you children of Jacob are not consumed because he doesn't change. Thank God. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Notice that. Do you want to have, how many want to have the Lord nearer? Well, you're getting ready to have the answer. They said, well, how shall we return? And he goes on to say, the Lord says, will man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Ouch. Everybody say, that's not pastor talking. Thank you. That's God saying it. You have robbed me in your tithes and your contributions or your offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. 
bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. Everybody say, we can test God. Think of that. He's so confident in who he is that we can test him. But you want to know what? This is the only place in Scripture that he releases us to do that, to test him. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. If you take notes in your Bible, underscore, circle, highlight the word need. Doesn't say want. Your tithing's not going to earn a million bucks. That's not what it, but your needs will be met. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the vineyard shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For all the nations will call you blessed. You want your boss to look at you and recognize your blessing? Ooh, that's quiet. Your neighbors, your family members, your friends, they will call you blessed because you've done what God has asked them to do. Would you just bow your head just for a moment and ask the Lord to help us deliver this with clarity and with lack of confusion. Jesus, by the authority of your name, I take dominion over every lying voice that may try to trigger in this house today. Lord, and I release the clarity of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I want to be financially free. I want to walk in your ways. I want to walk in your will. I want you to direct my path. Lord, help me to do a, a good job in uh, portraying what your word says so that we can walk from this place with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel Webster once said that, the most important thought I had ever was my individual responsibility to God. We talked about that last week a little bit. Seek first the kingdom. Today, at least 90%, 90% of American Christians do not tithe. In fact, one study said that if every American Christian went on welfare and tithed their welfare check, church giving would increase by 50%. Which, on another aside, let me just say this. My income from this church is not based. In other words, if you give more money, doesn't mean I get more money. It's the church uses it for the things of God. And we've got a great board that lets us do that. You see, money is a good servant. I, I, how many like to have some money? Because it's a good servant. You can get things done if you have money. But money is a terrible taskmaster. If you control the money, it will work for you. But when the money starts controlling you, 
That's when your worry increases. That's when your stress increases. That's when you're trying to figure out how to put two and two together to get a nickel. That's why That's why people in this country are so stressed out about their debt and about their finance and about all of that is because the money has become their taskmaster and you go to work in order to pay your bills. Instead of going to work to receive from the Lord what he wants to give you so that you have the opportunity to use for your life. Money or stewardship is very prominent in Scripture. In fact, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in their accounts, it contains more warnings about money and its misuse than any other subject. It's the reason why maybe I should preach it a little bit more to set more of us free. The church has become so fearful to preach it because of the mistakes of the few. And you can just pick any televangelist you want. And the the way that they've done some things, it's, it's, it's brought a view of the church and the preaching about money. Listen, I don't speak this to manipulate money out of you. I've already told you, I'm not even going to know whether or not you receive this message. It's just going to be between you and God and Taryn might know. But as the under-shepherd of this church, and we've been talking about our foundations, and we said the very first message that the Bible was the core concept or the standard by which we live and operate. And in Scripture, tithing is there. So I've got to speak about it. Think about this. One in every four verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with money. Here's another statistic. One in every six verses in the New Testament makes reference to money in some way. Sixteen out of the 38 parables make reference to money. More is said about money in the Bible than the subjects of heaven and hell combined. And we're worried about getting to heaven and missing hell. 500 verses deal with prayer and faith, while 2,000 verses deal with money and possessions. The first disciple fell over money, Judas Iscariot. The first sin in the early church involved dishonored stewardship, if you read Acts chapter 5. You see, the reason why money is such an important topic to the Lord is that your time and your money reveal who is your Lord. The Bible says that there's going to come a time when some will declare, Lord, Lord, and he will respond, I do not know you, depart from me. And so I believe our time and our money reveal to us where our hearts are, where our treasures are. Matthew 6 and Luke chapter 12, the verse says, um, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. I want you to notice that. It doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure follows. It says where you put your treasure, your heart will follow. You want more of God? Give more to God. Because, well, let me put it to you this way. One of the things that I have found in teaching college classes is that if I will charge just $10 the student is more apt to complete the whole course. Where if I offer it for free, 
They'll show up for two weeks, then they'll miss three weeks, then they'll show up for another week, then they'll miss three weeks, then they'll. But if there is a do- even just ten dollars, can't even get a happy meal hardly with that anymore. It's something that tug. Why? Because where our treasure is, there is our heart also. Uh, if you'll just follow along on the scripture, you can turn there if you're a note taker in Hebrews chapter 7. I- I've never taught tithing out of this chapter before, but the Lord gave me some insight to this chapter, and, and I want to spend some time on it. Hebrews chapter 7. And here's, here's what we have to understand. Listen, I know that this topic and this message is kind of sometimes dry. Maybe, you know, you're not feeling the goosebumps of the Holy Ghost because really I'm right down where the rubber meets the road, But and I get that. But let me just tell you that this message is as anointed as the one last week. I've got a couple of you to say amen. Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now notice the progression here. Abraham comes to Melchizedek and Melchizedek blesses him. Melchizedek is a priest of the Most High. I want you to notice two things in this scripture. It's talking about Abraham, which means it predates law, because law doesn't come in for several hundred more years. And number two, it originates by the blessing of Melchizedek. You have nothing to tithe until he blesses you. But when you wake up in the morning and you take that breath, that's a blessing. So Melchizedek blesses Abraham, and in response to the blessing of Melchizedek to Abraham, in verse 2, it says that Abraham apportions a tenth part of everything, a tithe. That's the word tenth. It's dikati in uh, Greek. It means a tenth. He is first, by translation in his name, king of righteousness, then he is king of Salem, that is king of peace. This is referring to Melchizedek. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. In other words, Jesus, we're going to see in a couple of passages here in a second, that Jesus is a reflection of the Melchizedek priesthood, which means it's a priesthood that goes on forever. It hasn't changed. It's still here today. The order of Melchizedek is still in the house in 2023. Verse 4, see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. The Levitical priesthood had the legal authority to take tithes from the people. Okay? That's the law. That's legal. You didn't have a choice. 
Now, the legal ramification of that means this. You walk into this house, and I take your tithe before you enter the house. Now, how many would like that? I wouldn't like that, let alone anybody else. But they had a legal authority to take tithe from the people. That is from their brothers and sisters. Though these are also descended from Abraham, but this man, referring to Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. What's the difference between Abraham's tithe and the Levitical tithe? One is done on a personal level. One is done on a legal level. The Levitical tithe is a legal tithe that the Levite has to to extract to support the temple and to support the Levitical priesthood because the one tribe of Jacob, which was Levite, did not have an inheritance, did not have its own property, did not have its own belongings. So God made a way for him to be supported. But the principle of tithing, which predates that legal ramification, goes back to Abraham. And Abraham tithes not based off of a legal document, but he tithes based off of the blessing that he received from Melchizedek. Do you see the difference? Verse number 7, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Let me just tell you what that means. That means Abraham's tithe did not bless Melchizedek. But Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Listen, your tithe does not bless God. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need a cent. Listen, I don't know about you, but I drive in Coon Rapids. I have not yet seen any streets of gold. But he's got them. He doesn't need it. The blessing comes from he which is superior. The response to the blessing, the tithe, is the response to the blessed. Verse number 8. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Let me just tell you something. When you pay tithe, and and let me just tell you why tithe paying goes to the local church. Okay, it's not just to build the local church, but the Bible teaches in Deuteronomy and Malachi that you pay tithe to where where you meet, where the uh, the house of the Lord, or where you meet where the the Lord ministers. That's why why we say if you're going to pay tithe, pay tithe to the church. Because the church is the representative being of where the house of God is. Know you not that your temple is the holy temple of the Holy Ghost. We've been talking about being built, fit, fitly framed together, built on the apostles' uh, doctrine and, and prophets' doctrine and Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. And so in the case, and let me just say this. I've heard too many people teach that this is just about priesthood and not about anything else. Listen, The writer of Hebrews is using the tithe for a reason because he is establishing a New Testament principle that predates law, that carries because the Lord does not change, that carries all the way to today. 
and because you put the tithe in the offering and, and, and you put it on, online, how, if that's how you do it, but you pay your tithe, yes, it goes to mortal men. It goes to a board of directors. It goes to a church to be able to have all the stuff that we have here. But what it also does is it triggers in the hands of God, one, because he is alive, the Lord takes that tithe and turns around and blesses the person that gave the tithe. One might even say in verse number 9 that Levi himself who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. I will let you know that my wife and I pay tithes and offerings. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one after the order of Aaron? What the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us is that Jesus became a priest outside of the Levitical priesthood because the Levitical priesthood wasn't good enough to get us perfected. Let me put it to you this way. Does anybody know what tribe Jesus was born in? Judah. Thank you, Paul. He was born in the tribe of praise, not the tribe of Levi. So when you pay tithes, you're not paying it to the Levitical priest because Jesus is not a Levitical priest. Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, which does not end. It lasts forever. So verse number 12, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar, for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, notice this, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, or you're not born into it. Those that were born into the tribe of Levi became priests but by the power of an indestructible life. We pay our tithe to the priest of Melchizedek, or in the likeness of Melchizedek, an indestructible life that does not end. For it is witnessed of him, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let me just continue to read because some of this is pretty cool. For on the one hand... A former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Listen, he's still talking about tithing. And what he's saying is, you may tithe according to the legal documents, but that's not going to make you perfect. But if you will tithe as unto the priest of Melchizedek that lasts forever and is still alive, that is where you receive a better hope through which we draw near to God. Some of you will get this. When you pay tithe, you are drawing nearer to God. That's, that's the word. 
Again, that's not pastor. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly become priests were made such without an oath. They were just born into it. But this one was made a priest with an oath that said, the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And Abraham established the principle of the tithe with a priest that would go on forever. And Jesus is the better than Melchizedek. He is still a priest on our behalf. And when we pay tithe, it's because he's still the priest. Verse 22, that's what makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to do all kinds of things. And you can read that there. You see, here's what tithing is. Tithing and offerings is really not about money. It's about lordship. It's about declaring who is your Lord. It speaks of ownership and authority. And it declares to all who owns what you have, who says what is done with it. D.L. Moody uh, said it this way. When I baptize people, I baptize people with their wallet in their pocket. So, you see, there's three kinds of financial structures in the world today. There is communism, which states that everything is the instrument of the state and there's no individual rights. Then there is capitalism, that states that the principle of individual rights to ownership and control. And then third, there is Christianity. And that declares that God owns everything. And of 100%, he has given me 90% to use. You see, I, I want to make some statements here that I, that I hope you'll grab a hold of. If you could picture in the back of your Bible one of the maps, you'll see two seas and a river going down. You'll see the Sea of Galilee, which was a natural spring-fed lake, and there's a river that goes down to the Dead Sea, which has no inlet or outlet, or that has the one inlet but no other outlets. And that's called a Dead Sea because it's dead. Nothing can live in it because there is no outflow of, of water. It's a cistern. It's a septic tank. See, one of the reasons I didn't go further out than Coon Rapids is because I didn't want to deal with a septic tank. I, I want city sewer. They can take it wherever it needs to go, and they can deal with it however they need to deal with it. I don't want to. I, I know that sounds gross, but, that, but that's what the Dead Sea is. The Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee is that living sewer. It brings stuff in, it cleans things out, and it sends it down. And where it goes, it ends up in the Dead Sea, which the Dead Sea is simply, if you will, a tank in the ground where everything builds up and dies. And that is the paradigm of Christian finance. You have a choice 
and it is your choice. Do you want to be Galilee or do you want to be a Dead Sea? Now here's the thing. The Lord is the owner of all things. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness there. Everything that's in it. Did you know that everything is God's? This is God's church. You're sitting in God's chair. You're wearing God's clothes. You're going to get into God's car. Are you getting the point? It is nothing to, it's all God's, and he just lets us use what he owns. So the next time you drive up to your house and you say, oh, here's my house, put a check, this is God's house, and he's letting me live there. This is God's car, and he's letting me drive. Now what, I I, want to share this because I found it fascinating, and, and I did, if you can trust the computer and internet, I'm going to trust it just, but in case it's wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm going to speak this out of ignorance then. But the principle of ownership is interesting when you read Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. God commands the uh, Adam to say, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. Now here's what interested me, is that botanists, say that there is no such thing as a tree. Trees are just an overgrown plant life. And from plant life, all plant life comes from nine specific species that I couldn't even pretend to try to announce or pronounce. And if that is correct... It means that there were ten trees in the Garden of Eden. And God said you can eat of all of them except one. And the reason why I know that there had to be ten instead of the nine is because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil didn't come outside the garden. It was kept unto God. And so I have heard it said, one-tenth was saved for him and the rest was for us. And if that's the case... Then, then that's a, a revelation of ownership, and it totally changes my mindset as to what the actual sin in the garden was. The actual sin in the garden, if this is correct, the actual sin in the garden was not that Eve and Adam disobeyed and partook of the tree. What they were, the sin was a violation of ownership. They took that was which, which was not theirs to take. And, and, and when you take that down into the concept of a tithe and you read Malachi 3, when you partake of the tithe, you are robbing or partaking and you are violating the ownership of what God has. And so if the Lord is your Lord, you are violating what he has given. You know, some say that if tithing was so important, it would have just been in the, the law, but it's not in, just in the law. It's, it's a little bit everywhere. Just, just uh, turn with me or, or follow on the screen, if you will, Matthew 23. Matthew 23. I've heard it said, well, tithing is an Old Testament deal. Jesus didn't, did, never said anything about a tithe. Jesus just said you have to be a cheerful giver. No, 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 no. 
Like I said, we'll talk about giving next week. That's something different. But Matthew chapter 23, let me get to it. Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Underline this next phrase. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. In other words, the the tithe you should do. The tithe is important, but you have put tithing over justice and mercy and faithfulness. You need to do all of it. Jesus establishes here that you don't do the tithe, or you do the tithe and you don't neglect the other things. Will blind guys straining out a net and swallowing a camel? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He, he's blasting these Pharisees. You clean the outside, and we like to preach about that, cleaning the outside. It's all on the heart, and it's all this. No, no, no. Part of it is you tithe well legally. You see that? You tithe well legally, and you should do that. But there's more than just that. But the principle here today is, yeah, Jesus says I'm supposed to tithe. Now let me ask you this. When Jesus speaks, do we listen? You see, I believe that tithing is God's financial operation for the local assembly. And so the question becomes, should not be, should I tithe? But my question today is, will a Christian under grace do less than a Jew under the law? How much has Jesus done for you? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Has he paid enough price that you can pay him 10%? Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 says it this way. Let me just start at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish it but to fulfill it. Verse number 18, for truly I say to you, I've told our students, when you see something like that, verily, verily I say unto you, or truly I say unto you, he's doing what my wife used to do to the boys. He's saying, here, eyes on me. Give me your attention. I'm getting ready to tell you something that's powerful and strong and needed. And he says that here in verse number 18. Until heaven and earth pass away. Has it passed away yet? Not one iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. This whole concept that the law has been abolished and Jesus fulfilled the law, it it doesn't say, it says until heaven and earth pass away. 
So even if tithing is given in the law, there's certain aspects of the law. I know that we can read some of the law and we can see where it has been fulfilled. For instance, the Sabbath day, according to the book of Hebrews, has been fulfilled because he is our rest every day. We have Sabbath every day in Jesus. But I don't see any other financial plan for the house of God outside of tithing and offering. There's no scriptural substitute. So I want to finish today with this. I I challenge you. You may say, well, pastor, I can't even afford to pay my bills. Then you must begin to tithe. Because when you begin to tithe, God steps up to the plate. Because can I share something with you? God is a master investor. All the billionaires of this world don't measure up to him. And when he looks at you, he sees a good buy. I I know that that's... But aren't we bought with a price? Didn't he go to Calvary to purchase us? That lets me know something. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you do, who you are. He loves you. Doesn't matter your history. Doesn't matter your present. He loves you. He's purchased you. What's that purchase? He's invested in you. He has come alongside you as a business entity. And all that he really asks for you on a financial basis is that 10% investment on his return. And then you have the choice to do whatever you want to do with the 90%. Now we're going to challenge you next week what that 90% does. But where it comes to the tithe, I don't know why other than God, it's the only explanation that I can give. But when people faithfully tithe, it's amazing how much finance spreads out over the month. I could bring up several people in this church that weren't tithing, that just took my challenge to tithe for a few months and see what happened. And at the end of those months, they said they'll never stop tithing because somehow I've been able to pay all my bills. I don't want to sound rude But if you come and ask me to pray for your finances, you have a financial need, you have a financial struggle, before I pray for you, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you tithed? Have you been tithing? And if your answer is no, my request for prayer will not be about your finances. My prayer will be for your heart. Because the answer to your financial problem is tithe. Because when you tithe, think about this. How many know who who Warren Buffett is? How'd you like to be in partnership with him? One of the wealthiest men around. And when I say that, what would happen if he walked through the doors and he looked at you today and he said, I will front all of your money. 
I will front your vehicles. I will give you a home. I will give you a job. I will take care of the home. I will take care of the job. I will take care of the car. I, I will create a 401k for you. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. The only thing that I am asking is that whatever you produce by all this stuff that I am fronting to you, I just get 10%. And then you live on the 90 I don't know about you, but his house is bigger than mine. Can I tell you what some uh, I have read, so I I can't clarify because I've not talked to them. But the top millionaires and billionaires in America, do you want to know one of the things that they do? Tithe. They may not even seem to be Christian, but they've... I've read, they, 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 it's one of the practices because they have grasped a hold and God has blessed them because it's a promise of Scripture. If you will pay your tithes, test me and I will open up the windows of heaven. Now let me just say this, and I'm coming to a close. This isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. This isn't, if I give $100, God's going to give me a hundredfold. No, that's not what this is about. This is about, God, I trust you enough to give you back your 10%. And I'll trust you to take care of the rest. You see, our tithe is a return on the investment that he's placed in you. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and in response to the blessing, Abraham paid the tenth. And Melchizedek, the priesthood of Melchizedek, has never come to an end. And in the book of Hebrews, it declares that Jesus has become the priest after the order of Melchizedek, which means the priesthood has, and has Jesus blessed us? Hey, if everything is his... Well, Pastor, I earned that money. Yeah, who woke you up in the morning? Who gave you breath? Who gave you ability to put two feet in front of one another? Who gave you the ability to use your hands and your mind and and whatever it is that's creating the income for you? I, I just wonder what a difference it will be if I would just pay back my tithe. Can I tell you what the difference is? It's found in, in, in the scripture, but it, there, there's a parable of it, and I won't take you to that. But let me just use logic with you. If I call Travis tomorrow, and I set up a meeting, and I bring Travis into the office, and I bring Jason into the office, and I say, listen, I've got a million dollars that I will give to you. And you go and make as much money as you can make with that million dollars. All I'm asking is I'm not asking you to return the million. I'm asking you to return the 10% on what you've made. Do you think they'd buy it? (laughs) Now they're in dream world. I've just sent them off into daydreaming land. Now let me ask you. A month later, I call these two guys back into the office, and I say, how much did you make off of your million? And he said, I made $1,000, so here's your $100.
And Jason says, well, I made $600,000 and he doesn't pay anything for me. Who am I going to give the money to the next time? God's the same way. I didn't say it. Look up the parable. I think it's Matthew 13, but I'm not positive on that. He says that it's the parable of the talents. I gave one ten, one five, and and one one. And why did you hide it? So I'm going to take from what the one did, and I'm going to give it to the ones that actually made something. It's the power of investment. When you pay your tithe faithfully and continuously, God takes it and he will come alongside you and bless you. And then according to the scripture, if you have a financial difficulty, you can go to God and not rudely, but you can go and say, God, I have been partnered with you and you own it all. I'm asking you to help me. And the Bible has promised to test him and he'll pour out the blessing to help you through the situation. That's how powerful the tithe is. So I want to challenge you. There's three reasons, very quickly, of why people don't tithe. One, they just don't know about it. That's why I preach it. The second one is they lack faith in the leaders of whom they tithe. Even God sometimes. But here's the thing. Where the tithe ends up is not our responsibility. In other words, God never says, when you give the tithe, I'm going to make sure the tithe is used properly. The, the, The obedience to give rests between you and God. And somebody said, well, how can I trust that you guys will spend it right? You can't. But let me ask you this. In a few minutes, with the exception of all of our newcomers that are going to stay here for lunch and not have to pay for it, some of you are going to go to a restaurant and you're going to pay the bill. Are you going to ask them for a printout of where that money's going? No. What's going to bring you back to that restaurant is did I get good food and good service? And so our agenda as leaders and as a church, we want to give good food that you can survive on and live on and enjoy and service that is above measure so that you want to come back. It has nothing more, nothing less than that. I don't know why we as humans get so determined to find out exactly where every penny goes when we give it to a charity or to a church and we don't think about the money that we spend at Target. Because I promise you, they're probably spending money in areas that you don't want them to spend it in. And then the third reason is simply out-and-out rebellion. Well, it's about me. This is my money. Listen, you want to head into financial hardship really quick? And this even goes beyond. When you consider it my joy my finance, my home, my car. When you start looking at your car and it's all about your car, get ready to put it into the shop. You just write it down. (laughs) Am I saying that it's not going to end up there with the Lord? No, but the Lord will give you the finance to pay to get it fixed. So I'm challenging you. If you've never tithed before, well, Pastor, how do I do that? Well, online... There's a place that you can put in tithe. 
Pastor, do I tithe off of my gross or off of my net? I don't know. Do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? Pastor, dude, what, what, what happens What happens if I, 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 something comes up? Tithe it anyhow and watch God show up. God, uh, Pastor, I want to see miracles. Tithe. Because when you don't think you have the money to do something, God shows up and a miracle's performed. Listen, I don't worry about our money. Partly because she handles it. But I've got 52 years of experience that whenever I have tithed, he has always come through. And whenever I haven't tithed, we've gotten into a total mess financially. And in the midst of our financial mess, when we couldn't rub two nickels together, when we came back and repented and said, Lord, I forgive us, and we began to tithe, it totally changed. So I invite you to stand. I want to remind you again, whether you receive this. Here's how I'll know receive as our giving will go up. That's the only way I'll know. In fact, it, it's funny because, as usual, I probably will not speak on tithe again until later on in the year or next year. That's just the way I operate. And the Lord's always blessed, so I haven't worried about it. But Taryn always says, yeah, I can tell you spoke on giving and finance. And that's all right. But I challenge you, if you've never tithed, I challenge you to do it for six months. When you get that paycheck, you just take 10% of that paycheck and you put it into the offering. Or if you go online, you just type it in. Or on the, on the one aspect of it, you can actually, there's a line drawn and you just click on it and it says tithe and that gets registered that way. And what that will do as, and then come back six months later. So come back at the end of July and just look at where you are financially if you have faithfully tithed. If you used to tithe and you've kind of swayed a little bit, I encourage you to come back to the tithe system and see what God will do. Listen, the blessing of God, he just says he pour out, a, he, uh, open up the windows of heaven and pour. He doesn't say that it's money for money. Doesn't mean it's corn for corn. But you may have a better job in place because you tithe. He may give you a better recommendation with your boss. Hey, there's been times where we've walked into situations. I remember in Kansas City, and then I'm done, I promise. When I walked into Kansas City, we were meeting with a, a, a person that was buying. Uh, we were trying to purchase property to build the church, to expand the property of the church. And he was adamant, I will not sell to a church. 24 hours later, Pastor Gleason gets a phone call from this gentleman. He says, your boss has talked to me. Pastor Gleason, my boss? 
my boss, your boss, I'll sell it to you for what you offered. It was just, don't tell me God doesn't like even the details of your life if you just partner with him. You don't give it, you pay it. Next week we'll talk about giving. And then we'll be done talking about finance until the Lord tells me to do it again, which is usually another year. But if it's in the word, I want it. When it makes me comfortable, I want it. When it makes me uncomfortable, I want it. Because this, we established a couple of weeks ago, is the standard. Jesus, Lord, you see the heart of every person here. And this may have been a different kind of message for some people, Lord, that have never experienced it. But I'm asking you, Lord, G, Lord to, to, to put something in their spirit today that connects with this message. Because, Lord, I want us to be financially free. And, Lord, I want us to be, Lord, your word says when the Son is set free is free indeed, Lord God. And when I'm partnered with you, that lets me know that I'm free. And it's all yours anyhow. So give me the boldness to try it. Give me the boldness to step into it. And, Lord, I promise to do my very best to pay my tithe so that I can be financially partnered with you because it's all yours anyhow. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God.